and happy Palm Sunday to you, Bridgetown Church, and all of you watching online. I'm Bethany Allen, and I'm excited to welcome you to the teaching for Bridgetown Church online. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Have you ever noticed that kids have this unique way of paying attention to the world, of seeing it particularly in a way that we as grown-ups do not? I can imagine that some of you, even this week, have experienced this at a profound level. A study I recently read from Ohio State University said that adults have the ability to focus their attention in a way that children do not. No surprise there. However, the study said, children uniquely have the ability to actually distribute their attention in a way that adults do not, allowing them to notice more of what's happening in the world around them. The article concluded with this statement, adults often miss what they are not focused on. Now, undoubtedly for each of us in light of this pandemic, our focus has shifted away from the routines of life uh, to new realities, such as the future and the market and statistics and numbers. What we're paying attention to and focused on is vastly different than it was even just a month ago. There is a very real external crisis at hand, and it has, for better or worse, not only captured our attention, but the attention of the entire world, which means that in these days, our attention is and will be one of the greatest commodities that we have. After all, what you give your attention to is the person you become. The mind is the portal to the soul. What you focus on and think about and give mental energy to will determine not only how you feel in a tumultuous time, but who you become as a result of a tumultuous time. This week, I've wondered what we might be missing, about what it is that we've missed by being focused on something else. I've wondered what it would be like to have a childlike perspective right now, what a distributed attention would do for us as God's people. What would we see? What would we notice about ourselves and about others and about the world? There is, I believe, an opportunity before us, and it is definitely a unique one with quarantines and forced isolation and social distancing, distancing, all of which feels still very crazy to me, and yet is stripping us of our distractions and calling, I believe, for us to notice or maybe better said, learn to notice in new ways. To distribute our attention requires a millennia-old spiritual skill that has come to be called the discipline of noticing. It's a discipline that, at its core, calls us to engage, to come back to the present moment, to pause and to notice what's happening now in our bodies, in our emotions, and in our life, and to do so with a holy purpose. And it's really twofold in nature. First, it requires the work of slowing down, to literally do less, to disconnect from regular rhythms of life, to breathe, and to focus on one thing at a time. The second is the practice of meditation, which for the apprentice of Jesus is, as author Charles Stone wonderfully defines, an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God as a means of communion with God. 
For centuries, church fathers and mothers have used the discipline of notice to still and to quiet their hearts in order to be fully present to God and to the moment. It's a discipline that cultivates our ability to be alert and awake for the sake of seeing and understanding and experiencing and even being alert to what God is up to, to knowing his purposes for us, to becoming aware of both his presence and his love. And there's a word in and from the scriptures that speaks directly to this practice, and that word is shalom, a word that I know many of you all for, are familiar with. Shalom is often defined as wholeness and peace, and it does mean those things. But what you may not know is that it's also defined as a soul that is awake and engaged in the present moment. It's a picture of spiritual flourishing no matter the circumstances. The discipline of notice is a bit of a lost spiritual discipline, but it is one I believe more than ever needs reclaiming, especially now. In a, an age of digital distraction and clickbaity news, short attention spans and culture-wide panic and ambient anxiety, we have needed it more than ever. Our moment, this moment, actually presents for us a choice. And it's a choice to either engage or to disengage. And, and not just uh, engage what's happening around us, but also to engage what's happening in us. In this moment, we as apprentices of Jesus will either become a mindful or a mindless people. Now, I have to say, I've never been more aware of mine or other people's mindlessness than I have over the past few weeks, and so maybe you can relate. Uh, for most, screen time is up, Netflix is on, and Twitter is our greatest point of human contact throughout the day, which is honestly not saying a lot for a lot of us. We're like those humans, I feel like, from Wally. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Those people who are scooting around in their chairs and drinking their Slurpees with a screen in front of their face. And, you know, to be fair, maybe it's not that bad, but I actually don't think we're too far off because it's easier, right, to be mindless over being mindful. I think the answer to that question is both yes and no. To live mindlessly is to actually live at the mercy of your thoughts and your emotions. Mindlessness is often the place where both the future and the past are at war. In his book, Holy Noticing, Charles Stone notes that when we live mindlessly, we are often either rehashing or replaying difficulties from the past that we can't change, or we're ruminating and rehearsing problems that are out of our control that could occur in the future. And some of you have even felt that reality even this week. Both the call and the gift of the discipline of noticing is that it brings you to the present and it makes you mindful. Mindfulness is this beautiful ability to be present, completely aware of the moment you're in, and in that, free from the tyranny of what wasn't and what could be. It helps us notice what's actually important. In a mindful space, we're dealing with things that actually are, the things that we maybe would have missed or avoided because we weren't being present or weren't being aware or weren't being mindful before. Things like the joy of being together with our families or the gifts of communication and connection. We've never felt that more than now. The hope uh, that one moment can actually bring to combat hard days. How a message or a story of survival or healing can shape our belief system for not only ourselves but other people. Mindfulness therefore frees us in so many ways to notice what's happening in and around us in the present moment and ultimately releases us from living lives bound and enslaved to reaction and judgment. But there's a fine line between these two realities. Scientifically speaking, there's a space between stimulus and response, and it's a small window. And it's in that window that we actually have to make a choice. 
Will we choose to give into the loudest emotion or the circumstance or potential outcomes or the anxieties of the moment? Or will we slow down instead and actually become present with the moment? One unknown source, which has been attributed to a Nazi war camp survivor, once wisely and beautifully observed, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. This space, this wise person once observed, actually gives us the opportunity to think and to feel differently, to recognize even how much we are not thinking. Charles Stone again observed that mindfulness isn't the absence of thought or thinking. It is, in fact, the space where we actually stop to think. In times of crisis, I think it's fair to say that many of us will have a traumatized response to what's happening, me included, because what's happening to us in this moment is traumatic. Trauma, as it pertains to our brains and our emotions, it's overwhelming, and it's a reality that impairs our ability to actually process and receive information, meaning that currently many of us are in great need of some sort of pause, pause before we actually respond. And while the discipline of notice can't fix our circumstances, though I wish it could, it can change how we experience our circumstances, and therein, I believe, lies the gift. Now, with that, I'd like to shift gears a bit and look for a few minutes at the life of Jesus. Uh, From the scriptures, we'll see that he not only embodied, but he exemplified this practice. And for time's sake, we're just going to look at one passage, and then we'll move on to a few others and just discuss them for a minute or two. So Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 24 through 34. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Okay, so our text, it opens up with a familiar story that I think a lot of you are acquainted with. Jesus, amidst a large crowd, is on his way to heal a young girl. And as he moves about, a woman who we read had been bleeding for 12 years and had suffered under the care of practitioners, in her desperation, reaches for Jesus, convinced that even if she touched the hem of his garment, she would be healed. Immediately, we read, her bleeding stopped and she was freed from her suffering. Now, notice with me verse 30. We read at once, we're told here that Jesus realized power had gone out from him. And he turns around and in that moment he asks, who touched my clothes? Okay, pause for a second. Here we have Jesus in the middle of a crowd and what we believe and know would have been a very congested, narrow and loud street in the ancient Near East. And he notices that he had both been touched and that power had gone out from him. 
He recognized a change both inside and out, despite the distractions literally all around him. But we're told Jesus kept looking around to find the one who had done it. The woman comes forward and he blesses her, acknowledging to her that her healing was complete and that she could go in peace. So here we find Jesus not only aware, but present to what was happening around him and in him. He was present to the moment present to his soul and present to the needs of others. His ability to notice life inside and out propelled the work that his heavenly father had for him. It created in him the ability to engage with the present moment and in that not miss out on the miracle of what was happening. And this, as I mentioned, is just one example. We know that Jesus exuded this practice as we see him noticing children in Mark chapter 10 or with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 as he was able to look beyond her presentation and her circumstances to the truth of what was going on within her. Again, with Satan in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4 as we see him freed from thoughts of power and greed and awake to the realities of God and his soul. And then again in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was deeply in touch with his emotional pain before he goes to the cross. The goal of the discipline of notice isn't just a religious practice. It's a practice that ultimately makes us more like Jesus. It's transformational because as we notice what is, we can become open to God and welcome him into a space where he can actually transform us and make us more into his image. The question is, how do we do this? Now, before I can answer this question, we have to first address a metaphoric elephant in the room. The discipline of notice is not an easy practice, and it's not easy largely because it comes at a great cost. Now, you don't have to forego food or get up early uh, to do this practice. You don't even have to develop a new weekly rhythm, nor do you have to come up with a new giving regime. You do, however, have to show up to yourself. And that, for most of us, is one of the hardest things that we can do. Humans innately fear what we don't know. Cue a worldwide pandemic. In all seriousness, we fear what we don't know, and because of that, we avoid what we don't know. Ignorance is bliss. Fear is the great enemy of this discipline. Fear that I will discover things about myself that I don't like. Fear that I am not as lovable as I had hoped. Fear that I won't be able to be in touch with what I actually need to do. Fear that I won't be able to act upon the things I find, whether it be inside or out. Fear that the moment will hold expectations for me relationally or emotionally that I cannot fulfill, and the list goes on. The best way, I believe, and really the only way to overcome fear is to turn and to face it in God's presence and to accept that it is just that. It is fear. It's just an emotion. It's a signal from our body, and it's okay. And hear me, I would even say it's okay, and it's even possible to look over the shoulder of fear and find Jesus. The ask for this discipline is not some mastery-level expression of bravery. It's not some extraordinary self-exposing Oprah moment. It's instead a simple willingness. The first step in any practice is willingness. And in the discipline of notice, it's no different. Contemplatives have long called this willingness welcoming, and it's the act of consenting to God's presence and action in every part of our lives. The key to welcoming is not to welcome suffering, per se, but to actually accept reality, and then from there, welcome God's presence and will amidst it. 
Fear is going to arise in this practice, but if we'll start by simply welcoming God's presence when it does over and over again, then I believe we'll have the grace we need to do the deeper work of noticing what's happening inside of us. So back to the question, how do we do this? Three things. First, I believe we pay attention to what's happening around or outside of us. Next, we pay attention to what's happening within, what's happening inside of us. And then we notice where God is in both of these spaces. So a word on each. What's happening outside of or around you? This is the space where we ask questions like, what's happening in my environment or in my ecosystem of my home, my work, my family, and the world at large? We ask questions like what's happening in our relationship to our spouse, to our friends, to our roommates, our family, our coworkers. This is the space where we notice God's creation. We ask, how does this beauty speak to me and inform my reality? We spend time in this space thinking about specific experiences we've had. Maybe it was this past week or last month or today. We notice how those experiences impact us and how they're, again, informing us and what's taking place in the present. This is the place where we notice the language we've been using, whether it's repetitive phrases or statements we've made throughout the day. Notice what you're speaking and saying. And then notice in the same space what comes to the surface. Notice what emotions are beginning to emerge. Breathe deeply and welcome each one as you invite the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants you to see. Next, uh, what's happening within you? More specifically, what have you been thinking about? What are some of the emotions you're experiencing? Where do you feel stuck? Where do you feel lost? This is the space where you notice your body. Where is it holding tension? Where is it experiencing pain or discomfort? Remember that in biblical theology, you don't have a body, you are a body. And our bodies were not really designed to carry long-term stress. So this is space to notice and to pay attention and to do the work you need to do to help your body. This is also the place where you notice how the disruption of the pandemic or other situations throughout your week have stirred you, those good things and those less good things. This is the space where you're paying attention to what's happening inside of me. And then finally, there's a a space to notice where God is in both of these places, both in the outside and the internal world. This is where we look for where God is and where he has been. This is where we notice what he has said or is actively saying to us. This is the space where we notice his invitations, his response to us, his presence. What happened uh, when your heart and mind engaged with him this week? These are the questions we're asking. Where and how have you been shaped by the belief of his presence or the belief of his absence? How are those things, again, informing your present reality? Now, those are three things, but I want to say this because I think it's really important. They sound easy, but as most of us know, they're not easy. This practice is something that actually takes time to develop, though it's simple and linear in its kind of structure. It's a hard work and discipline to do. So Just a word on that. It it takes time to develop and learn this. This is a layered rhythm. So as you're leaning into this, just a couple things I think will be helpful for you from contemplatives and from Charles Stone and his book, Holy Noticing, just some best practices that help you along the way as you navigate what's ahead. First, I'd encourage you just to avoid judgment. And what I mean by that is avoid judging your thoughts or your emotions. I'm the worst person at this. I'm terrible. I have a lot to say about myself. 
So um, helpful or not helpful, it's true. So in this practice, it's really important not to judge what's taking place inside of you. Um, one of our local therapists calls this non-judgmental self-observation, and I think that's really helpful language. Um, we should note that judgment only hinders us from noticing and actually welcoming what's happening. So as soon as you start to judge a thought or emotion, you're actually stopping the process as a whole. So I would say honor what comes by avoiding judgment and then allow it to inform you and to cultivate even greater spaces of depth and intimacy and noticing. Um, next, we'd also say uh, invite slow and embrace patience. Uh, do what you can to avoid that internal drive in you that moves you towards an easier moment or what you feel like would be a better moment. Um, don't rush this, this practice. It takes time, so be sure just to give yourself the grace to know it's just going to take a bit longer than a few other practices. Next, trust God's timing, his leading, and his goodness. Uh, sometimes, again, this is easier said than done. But remember that he is the author of these spaces, and he's working for your good. Whether you feel that in the moment, God is actively working towards your good and your best. So this is the space to trust him as he leads you. Uh, and with what he shows you. If it feels like, man, this feels early for God to show me something like this, trust that he is good and perfect with his timing and how he cares for you, and he will provide for you in that space as he's leading you to it. Also remember that you are not at the mercy uh, of your passions or your desires. So in this space, remember you can trust in God's presence and his leading with you. And then finally, I would say just adopt a posture of non-striving. Um, it's easy to want to strive in these places, especially if you're a little bit of an achiever, maybe a type A. Uh, the gift of the discipline of notice is your ability to embrace a restful posture, open hands, open heart, and again, allowing God to lead you into the spaces he wants to lead you. This, again, in so many ways is an ever-evolving practice, and it looks different for each of us. Remember, the goal is to notice what's happening now in the present and to do so with a holy ambition and a holy purpose. In his book, Holy Noticing, Stone says there are five spiritual benefits to this practice, this discipline of notice. He says that from this discipline, we avoid spiritual forgetfulness. We enhance our mental and emotional health that we increase our happiness by changing our interior landscape, that we're able to live more as human beings rather than human doings, and ultimately, by doing this, we'll develop a lifestyle of holy noticing. And truth be told, I can't think of a time when apprentices of Jesus have needed these realities more. And I don't think that's because this comes easy to me or because I'm trying to sell you on something in fact, I would love to say that this practice has been easy for me to do and I'm great at it at mastered level, but the truth is it's something I'm having to work really hard at. As much as I want more of God and more of the Holy Spirit, I have, even in the past few days, sacrificed the gift of his presence for my own self-preservation. The thought of letting go and giving up control or the illusion of control is something that frightens me, especially in this current moment. Over the past few weeks, like many of you, I have wrestled with anxiety, and I'm not even naturally an anxious person. Uh, I'm pretty excitable, that's true, but anxious I am not, so this is all really new territory for me. I've noticed that so much of what's happening in me has to do with some activation of trauma from my past, the sudden loss or shift in a financial situation, the impact uh, of rhythms and relational touch points changing very quickly, the weight of others' pain, and my inability to ease it or to stop it. And in all what feels like a moment, all of this activating 
this place of trauma and injury in me. Truth is, life is coming at us fast, and the temptation will be for all of us to avoid it, to look to a better moment to survive this one. We currently live in a time where avoidance is what so many of us believe we need to survive. And maybe we haven't said that out loud, but if you're anything like me, you have thought it. If I can just shut my eyes long enough, I can wait it out. Or if I can turn my head away or avert my eyes or cover my ears, then maybe this will all just end. But my friends, this moment is not one that will end with a pill or a shot. We are in a time as the church where we can no longer afford to avoid the present. There is a deep call, and by the way, it happened long before COVID-19, to pay attention to our lives, to pay attention to our pain, to pay attention to what God is doing now, to notice what's happening within us and around us, and to allow all that we see and all that we notice to move us towards faith in greater kingdom realities. We have an opportunity in this moment and in the many moments that will come to welcome and embrace the present with all its disappointment and pain, all its suffering and loss, and all of its beauty and grace, and to allow what we've noticed to lead us to places we could have never led ourselves. There is goodness in this moment to notice, and there's goodness to deeply enjoy, not just pain. May we be faithful with what's at hand. To end, I'd like you to pray a prayer with me. It was written by Mary Mrazowski, who started the Welcoming Prayer Movement. And to me, it's a beautiful place for us to start as we lean into noticing all that God is up to. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection and esteem. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open myself to the love and the presence of God and the healing action and grace within. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. As many of you know, we recently bought a church building on the inner east side of Portland and are just about done with the remodel. The plan is to move in late April or early May, depending on what happens with the coronavirus. And we just want to ask that you would continue to give to Bridgetown Church without uh, our Sunday gatherings. We're in a little bit of a vulnerable space. This is a really key time for us at a financial level, and we're really ready to flex that muscle of generosity. And so we just ask that you would continue to give. Or for those of you that are not a part of Bridgetown Church, but you listen along to the podcast, if you at all feel the Spirit of God lead you to give to support the work of our church and our new building project, we would be so grateful. You can give online at bridgetown.church give or find out more at our webpage. Love to you all.